0: Welcome to the Disunderstood Podcast. I'm your host, Ella Easton. So on. On. on today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Jackie. The first mom to share her story on the Disunderstood platform and a wonderful contributor to the Disunderstood community. Jackie is a stay-at-home mom living in Southern California, learning to navigate chronic illness with her husband and three kids. She was diagnosed with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and POTS a little over two years ago. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to take a listen or read her story on the blog at disunderstood.com slash blog. It is an incredibly powerful one that I myself think about um, in moments where I feel like I need a little more energy um, to continue to persevere. She has been really vulnerable with our community in all of the experiences that she has had in the healthcare system and also in her personal life, particularly the part about Her entering motherhood and bringing her children into the world is one that I continue to carry with me, and one that we will hear a little bit about today. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Jackie. There you are. Hi, hi. It's great to see you. See you, Daniel. You look so professional. I am actually in this little recording studio at the med school, so it worked out really nicely that I have access to their little setup, including my little green screen so I could put the Disunderstood behind. So That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really excited to catch up and see how you're doing. Um, you mentioned that your brain fog has been a little bit of a challenge Um I'd love to hear about kind of how you're managing everything else,
1: yeah, it's been it's been kind of weird, like I feel that things ebb and flow and i I feel like I have a good handle on things and like okay, I can do this and and things are going well, and then something happens, and it it just throws me off and um I feel like the brain fog really it's one of those things like for so long I didn't know what was going on and so I, I felt like I had to kind of hide it like if I I mean I would trump my doctors like I'm having trouble focusing I'm I'm losing like I don't know like I'll be talking to someone and I'll like lose my of but and it, it's not in a kind of an ADHD sort of way which because I mean that's something that I deal with too but it was it, it's a different kind of thing and so I find myself kind of like wanting to hide it because for so long I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then now that I know what's going on, I, I still have that pattern of like not wanting to really share about it or, and there's like this internalized kind of ableism and I've been just trying to unpack that and, and not do that. Cause I, like I said, like I would never judge anyone else for issues focusing or getting confused or or anything like that but for myself I do so um I feel like I I took a break for a while from doctor's appointments and I was just so burnt out so I was like okay I'm happy with where I'm at and I'm just gonna be like content with where I'm at right now and instead of trying to like push for more answers Mm -hmm. um but you know it's I feel like it's become worse again and now I'm like okay I need to find out what's going on so i have an appointment with the chronic fatigue clinic um actually at stanford next month so hopefully be able to get some answers the neurologist at stanford actually referred me to them because he was like i think that's causing like a large majority of your symptoms so it's been interesting learning about that and pacing and and all of that has been like really eye-opening to me especially for like past stuff and explaining a lot of past stuff and why things didn't work and why things worked
0: yeah do you mind um briefly just listing some of the conditions that you manage so the listeners that haven't um gotten the chance to listen to your story yet can can have a little bit of context sure so I have um hypermobile
1: Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and then that has caused like I mean they think they don't know um but for me at least like that has caused like a slew of other conditions so like um pots mm-hmm. um mast cell activation syndrome uh what else yes. probably they said probably maybe the adhd might be related they're not really sure um and i'm like blanking on my what <laughs> conditions because i had this asked and i'm like Wait, what do I even have? I mean, those are like the main yeah. conditions that impact my life day to day. Yeah. Um, but you know, just like chronic pain and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There's more, but those are kind of the main, the main things.
0: Yeah. And you shared your story with us so beautifully. So thank you again for your contributions to our platform. Um, but you were the um first mom to share your story with us and i would love to hear how you have managed um in your role as a provider for other people um while you've also, you know, had to take care of yourself and um manage your health in addition to managing um, you know, your, your children and also navigating your relationship. So there's, you have so much wisdom to offer this community. So I'd love to hear um, how that has evolved over the years.
1: Oh, you're so sweet. I
0: don't feel like I
1: have like any wisdom. I feel like I, this one was tricky for me because you were so nice and you gave me a kind of like an idea of some of the questions in advance. And I was thinking about this a lot and I'm just going to be really honest like I wish I had a better answer I wish I had it figured out and I knew how to do it I feel like I just every day I'm just like okay we got through today like it's I just have to take it like a day at a time sometimes like an hour at a time um and I you know I got diagnosed after having all three of my kids so i didn't know that i was sick like i mean i knew that i had they said you have like optimolic migraines and you have well yeah that's one of them migraines uh like chronic migraine. <laughs> yeah um which has been better lately thankfully um but yeah so i knew i had some conditions but i didn't know that i was like basically disabled i didn't know that i was chronically ill i knew that i had to deal with some things but Um, so a lot of a lot of my motherhood, like most of it has just been pushing through and like everyone feels like this. It's okay, like you're tired, you're a mom, or you know, that was kind of what the doctors would tell me, like, oh yeah, you're tired, you're busy, whatever. And I'm like, but I feel like lightheaded and confused and and all this stuff. And and they just kind of wrote it off, like, Oh yeah, that's normal, that's normal. And um, so a lot of motherhood for me has just been pushing through and trying to just be like the best mom that I can be and do the most stuff and and do the most activities and, and all this stuff. And then finding out like that I had these conditions, I felt so validated like, oh my gosh, that's why it's been so hard. That's why I've been so exhausted and so much pain and having all these symptoms. So now it's like I'm trying to navigate Prioritizing my health but also caring for my kids and that's been really really hard because I have to ask myself like okay what's where's the line between what the kids need and what I need in order to be able to like be there for the kids because if I if I overdo it and I put myself in a major crash I'm like not going to be very helpful to them so yeah. It's like a constant balance, and my youngest is only five, so she doesn't really understand. She's so sweet and gracious to me, and like I'm so lucky that they somehow seem to understand on some level. Um, but like, it's it's really tricky, um, and I think you know, carefully planning planning out things and knowing like okay we have this thing tomorrow like they went to vacation bible school this week and like I basically dropped them off and then came home and laid in bed for like four hours until I went to pick them up because I just was so exhausted from getting them ready driving them there and then standing in a line and that was like all I could do that day And it's just like there's still that sense of almost like embarrassment or shame or something even though i would never ever ever judge i mean i know people who are really severe that can't like even like have a light on and i of course would never be like oh you can't even have a light on like but it's like when it's myself i just feel this like that's crazy that that's all i can do and i it's it's like i i know that it's valid but it's just so hard to accept and it's so hard to explain to other people. And that's why I love the name that you chose for your platform because it's like, that's been the hardest, one of the hardest things is just not being able to explain things to people and not being able to be understood and being understood is what gets you support. Oh, you said how to manage my role and then my house and my relationship. And yeah, the relationship, my husband's just so great and like understands and, um, he's just very supportive. So I feel very fortunate to have that. So that's kind of, I don't have to worry. I mean, I'm always trying to, you know, work on on being a good wife and things like that, but it's not like, oh my gosh, what about, you know, he he can, he really does pull like a lot of weight when I need it. And we try to like be there for each other and, and fill each other's gaps the best yeah. way we can.
0: yeah and you've been together since before you received any diagnosis. So he's kind of been on this journey with you um you know through the ups and the downs and yeah um it is so wonderful that you feel like you have him to to rely on through all of this. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, he I mean, we knew that I had like issues
1: with stuff, but yeah. we didn't understand and I had like one of my biggest Layers, which now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was like, I think that was a chronic fatigue or I mean, it could have been POTS and the fatigue could have been from the POTS, but it was like, unlike anything before. It was like, just, I can't get off the couch. I'm so, there's something wrong. Like we have to figure this out. Um, So yeah, that he he never was like, mm, are you sure you're not crazy? Like he was he not crazy, but like he was like yeah. he never questioned the reality. He always believed me. He's always um always encouraged me. I never felt like judged by him or or criticized by him. And that's been really, really huge.
0: Yeah. No, I'm I'm really glad to hear that because I think um, you know, I hope that most people that are going through this have at least that one person to rely on that they can go to and express how they're feeling without um you know being worried about the other person believing them or judging them for it um and that was also part of the reason that we created this was to let people know that they're they're not alone going through this in case they don't have that person really close to them that is able to be kind of that that shoulder to lean on when, when necessary. Um, and I would like to say too that, you know, you said you, you wish you had a better answer, but I think that everything that you touched on, um, was really a wonderful kind of explanation of a lot of people um, that are experiencing this kind of go through. Um, And it really evolves over time, too. We're we're constantly learning and our body's constantly changing. So we're having to always adjust and adapt. And, you know, your kids are growing, too, and um, things are changing for them. And so you're always having to make changes and adjustments. And I think that makes it feel like we really... Don't have it all figured out because we're in a constant state of flux. It's true, <laughs> um, but in in all of our interactions, you've always been so thoughtful and reflective, and I've always learned something. And um, so I think that's that's another reason why I was very excited to have you come and speak today. Because I I think that you're right. We don't give ourselves enough credit, um, but when other people kind of listen. Um, listen to us when we share our experiences, uh, they, they benefit greatly. Um, if you would be willing to talk about kind of your journey to motherhood, I think that it would be really, really powerful for the listeners. Um, that's one of the major stories I carry with me every single day and just how people living with chronic illness can really push through um incredibly challenging and, and seemingly impossible things. Um so if you don't mind sharing that part of your story, I'd really appreciate it. Sure.
1: Can do you mean like my journey to like wanting to become a mom or like actually the pro like pregnancy and yeah. what kind of
0: so when there's you... a lot. Yeah, I know. Um, I think more so the process of actually having your children. I think there are not a lot of people that understand kind of the the role that Ehlers-Danlos plays, um, like, in affecting a woman's body and their ability to uh, safely and effectively carry a child. Um, and you have lots of experience with that. So maybe just sharing briefly kind of you know looking back once you got your diagnosis you thought this all makes sense but but in in the moment you were you were doing what you had to um yeah okay that's a really really good question and i i agree like i've tried
1: to i've tried to find other women who have some of these conditions um to try to like glean from them like how did you do it what how are you doing this. Um, and it's, it's, there's not a lot out there. I know they exist, but it, it's just, there's not a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, when I had my, well, first I had two miscarriages before my son. Um, and I mean, this is one of the issues is I don't have like an EDS specialist or someone that is very knowledgeable about it. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I know is just from medical literature or um like conferences that I've listened to or things like that. But I know um like miscarriages are more common with women with EDS. So I I had that happen. And then when I had my son, I just I felt so terrible pregnant. I um, and again, I only know my own body, so I don't know what it's like for for women without chronic illness to be pregnant. But I felt like, okay, this is really bad. Like, I feel really nauseous. I'm really like so fatigued, like more fatigued than I had ever been, even with like a severe flu or, or like 104 fever, just like the worst fatigue. And um, pregnancy was really hard, but I didn't really like talk about it because I thought, okay, this is, you know it's hard and you see the movies and um, the shows and the jokes and all that stuff. But um, I, and I, you know, was like a pretty healthy weight and ate pretty healthy and and did the things and exercise and my blood pressure still continued to go up. And so they induced me and um, I went from like 0 to 6 centimeters in like 40 minutes with like a tiny bit of pitocin and they were like what is this like this is crazy um but they didn't they didn't like question it they were just like oh that happens sometimes but they seemed like question, but they didn't they didn't like dig into it so that was one thing um and then just like breastfeeding was really challenging it hurt really bad they couldn't figure out why. And then it turned out I was like allergic to the like the pads, like the the bleach pads. Um, So that was insightful with like other things, like there's bleach in everything. Um, But so weird stuff like that, like breastfeeding, I had like a lot of oversupply, a lot of pain. And I went to lactation consultants for like I think six months. And I just felt like no one told me like, look, you can just give a... Her- formula like it's okay but i felt like this pressure it was like rest is best whatever and i'm just like thinking like i don't i don't want to be in pain all the time and he nursed constantly and like my supply was like watery and weird and so he wasn't staying full but we didn't know why and, and now it's probably because of like the the letdown or whatever sorry this is too much you can you can no. edit stuff out of this right <laughs> like, yeah no you're I, able to like yes uh, if i absolutely. ramble too much
0: Okay. No, you're not at all. This is all super helpful.
1: Okay. I'm an open book. I don't care, but I don't, you know, some people might to let me know. Okay. So, um, so anyway, so that was with him and, and everything was just kind of like, yeah, it's it, this is like a fluke. It probably won't happen again, whatever, but it didn't seem like really bad. It was just kind of like within reason where I was like, okay, I don't think there's anything crazy wrong with me. I think I just, I, you know, can we wanted to have more kids. So then we had, our second um, child. So that was really, that was kind of different, that pregnancy where I didn't get the blood pressure. I didn't get, um, I don't think I felt, I I still felt sick, but I was like used to kind of the aches and pains and, and all that. But my doctor was very knowledgeable about um, preeclampsia. And so she put me on like a bunch of supplements and she put me on like baby aspirin and I never developed blood pressure with him. Um, but I was induced because she saw my blood pressure like creeping, like it slowly was creeping and creeping. And so she's like, I really don't want to wait for you to end up with something. So let's just do an induction year due like tomorrow. Let's induce you on your due date. So I went in and it turned out I was already in labor, but I didn't know because I didn't realize that. I thought I would be in like significant pain and it just felt like period cramps to me, which that... I should probably talk to my doctor about that. Like if my period cramps are like labor level, like probably, but I just can't do another thing right now. So, um, so he ended up having like major decelerations and they had to do an emergency C-section. Um, his heart rate, even like they, there was no heart rate for a while. They put in one of those little like, uh, internal monitors in his head and they still couldn't, Find it. So I had a really traumatic, really traumatic birth with him. Um, I wasn't numb. The epidural like wasn't working for like them cutting me. So it was really, really bad. And that was that's kind of like the main story that I have um, when it comes to like crazy stuff with birth. Um, so the doctor like rushes in and is like, we can't find his heartbeat. We need to do an emergency C-section. And so they rushed me back and um, they pinched me and they were like, you can't feel that, right? And I was like, no, I can feel that. And the anesthesiologist was like, what do you even feel? And I was like, you're pinching me with sharp tweezers." And she was like, oh, okay, hold on, wait, she's not numb. And so I was like, no, just put me out. I like, we need to get him out. Like, I don't, I don't want him to have... Um, complications from this. And so they were like, no, look at his heart rate. It's kind of going up. It's okay. Like it's low, but it's, he has like eight minutes of oxygen. So we can try to get you numb for like that amount of time. So they're doing all this work. They're messing with the epidural. They're pushing stuff and, and they just can't, like my skin just won't get numb. And I've had this issue with the dentist before where I had like a root count. they had to do 12 shots and I just, I don't respond to lidocaine very well. Um, or like a lot of numbing agents, if at all, sometimes. Um, and so they were like, well, we don't want to put you out because if we do that, he's already in distress. He's already low in oxygen. If we do that and then we can't get him to breathe, like we just don't want to go there. We, it's safer if we try to get you numb so we can um, do that. And so finally they were like, it's not working. Like, that. I heard him like mumbling and they came over with like the gas and I just thought like, I have like I can't. They have to get him out. Like I can't do like they can't put me out. I can't risk this. So I just said like I'm I'm numb. I, it's 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 working. Wait, hold on. Like I did like my best acting. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, wait. And so they were like, are you sure? And they pinched me like so hard, like probably broke the skin. And I was just like, oh yeah, I can't feel that. And. So they like cut me open and I could feel like every layer. Like I I didn't realize how you have like all these layers till after that. And I could feel like, I remember being like, oh, that's the skin. That's the fat. That's like, I could feel it. And, you know, of course I was screaming and they were like, wait, are, are you okay? Can you feel that? And I was like, no, I'm just really scared. And so I, you know, I feel bad for like lying, but I also don't feel bad. For, like I needed them to get him out and I, Um, I don't regret it because I always would have wondered, like, you know, if anything ever happens to him later in the future, I would be like, wait, is that because of this? Or so I know, I mean, I wouldn't recommend this. I would say if I was telling anyone else, I'd be like, the likelihood, like, just let them put you to sleep. But like, I just, I, I just made like a, like a, a very like quick judgment call at the time. And so, um, they got him out. And then as soon as they got him out, I was like, I lied. I'm sorry. I, I feel everything like, I, you know, and then the the <laughs> physiologist who was like very mild mannered was like, oh, S word. And like she was like freaking out. And I heard them like yelling and like morphine and whatever. And then I just remember like that was I don't remember anything after that. I went like to sleep. Um, So that was like super traumatic. And I didn't realize that I had so much trauma until like years later. Um, my one of my family members is a like a neuropsychologist and uh, we were talking and she was like I think you might have like PTSD like this seems you know because I was having like flashbacks and all these I was never the same after that Um, and so I didn't realize until six years postpartum though like I didn't know about I thought that was only for soldiers and like you know sexual assault victims and things like that. I didn't know about like PTSD from medical trauma. So that, you know, getting treatment for that, getting help for that was huge. Like I don't, I don't think I have PTSD anymore. It was like, it it was very fixable for me because it was like that one event. Um, but it was just, it was just really traumatic. So, um, and then with my daughter, she, I ended up having postpartum eclampsia with her after the fact. And I didn't know, cause I didn't know until the third day. Cause they said, keep an eye out. Like you'll have the worst headache of your life. Like, the, you know, you'll know, like it's the kind of headache you'll know. And I just felt like these are just like, not even as bad as my normal migraine. So I didn't, I didn't know. So, um, and she was born very rapidly also, like all of them, I mean, I went to eight centimeters with my middle son, um, but they still had to do the C-section. But like every all of my kids were like super rapid um, births,
0: probably due to the EDS. So. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, I think you have spoken before about the amount of pain that you have lived with for so many years and how. It really changed your perspective about what you were, you know, supposed to be able to handle and what things should feel like. And, um, that is just, uh, an amazing testament to, um, how much you have gone through. And I think that there is more now, luckily, about the discussion of PTSD in the medical setting and, um, as you mentioned, it's it's very possible for people to have experiences that um, are traumatizing to them. And um, I think that that story is definitely an example of, you know, a mix of amazing strength on your end, but then also a disservice of the medical field to everybody living with conditions that can be written off. Um, but I appreciate you opening up about that. And I know that the listeners will will take something away from hearing that story from you. Oh, thank so. you. Yeah, it would have been really helpful to know that I had
1: EDS. Like i I know there are a lot of things that can be modified and changed and it doesn't have to be like, pregnancy doesn't have to be this terrible experience you have these conditions, um, you know, I think it would be harder, but it doesn't have to be like
0: at that, at that level, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think that hearing that story is also helpful for people that do have EDS and may not know that that's a complication, especially if they're diagnosed at a really young age and it's not something that's talked about with them yet.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: You know, we have a culture of keeping some of those discussions off the table, um, with certain age groups. But I think that, you know, understanding like, like you said, oh, I shouldn't be in that much pain every time I have my period. It's also important for a 13 year old to know just as important as it is for a 33 year old to know. Yeah. So it's true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a history of EDS in your family or did anyone else know, um, Or get diagnosed once you found out that you do no that's what's really weird and one of the um
1: that was one of the questions i asked when i said you know or when they diagnosed me i was like but wait i don't have family um history of this and no one in my like i'm the only flexible person in my family and there's no like other people with anywhere near kind of stuff that i have but the Doctor said basically you can be a de novo mutation so you can have like a new you can be the mutation like I asked to start like the I was the change you know
0: <laughs> you can be the change the <laughs> um, change you don't want to see I in don't the world see it.
1: <laughs> exactly so <laughs> I was like that change so yeah there was no um the I am getting evaluated um based based off some of my kids um like health stuff. We ended up having to talk to genetics for something and and the counselor was like, "I think we should do a connective tissue panel on you just to make sure it's not another type of EDS because there were people in my family where there was like weird stuff like my grandmother had a lot of the same stuff as me when it came to like skin fragility and um I mean, looking back, I think she had some form of dysautonomia. She had we had like a lot of the same symptoms and i didn't find this out until i started asking questions once i was diagnosed so it's not like i knew about any of this so i say no like there wasn't a history but i also wonder is there some other type of eds or something going on
0: yeah and also are are people having these experiences like you were and thinking oh this is how everybody else is living and so then you don't think it's anything remarkable
1: well, yeah, exactly. And that's why when I reached out to like more extended family members, like cousins, they were all like, no, 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 I don't have anything. And then, and then I was like, well, okay. Are any of you hypermobile? You know, like I asked specific, you know, things like that. And my cousin was like, well, yeah, but it's just my hands or like, it doesn't bother me. Like he didn't, I don't think he really wanted to go there cause he was fine. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that's fair. Like, so it's, but hypermobility, like one in 10 people have that. So it's not like something I could be like, well, listen, you got to really look into this or, you know, so yeah. yeah, I really wonder about that. And I think about, I kind of think about things like that. And you're talking people before me, right? You're not talking like my own kids. Yeah. Yeah. Because my kids, there are signs, but we don't know yet. And it's, no one will really, no one wants to like touch it and just like, mm, they're too young. Like, let's wait. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that there is some um, difficulties in in knowing too much. Um, mm-hmm. So, how do you navigate that with with your kids? And have you had discussions about this with them? Um, about you know, do they have symptoms? Are these conversations that you do need to have? What does that look like? So. I mean, we've
1: talked about, we've talked about it to, so only two of my kids have possible symptoms of like, they're hypermobile. One of them is not, um, and basically, I don't think my kids really want to go there. Like, I don't, and it's hard because I this is the kind of stuff that I'm like, okay, how do I navigate this? I don't want to like put something on them that they're not already concerned about. But then I also don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist and like, oh, yeah, my mom. I don't want them to think like, oh, yeah, my mom just never talked. It's just, We didn't talk about it. So it's like I do talk to them about it, but I don't. I struggle to know, like, what's the right amount. So, you know, I remember telling them. I don't remember if I told them on my own or if one of them asked, but either one of them asked or I told them right away, like, this is, you know, it is genetic. Like there is a 50% chance. Um, and right now, like you don't meet the criteria, uh, because you it's not just the hypermobility. You have to have yeah. like all these other things. And um, you know, I was like, I you know, right now the doctors say you don't meet the criteria and um it's it's possible. I'm really sorry. Like this is it's okay if you're scared or you want to talk about it, I'm here, and you know this is something that, you know, it's important that we talk about, and um, and this is to my to my older son, like he's old enough to understand this. My five year old, she's kind of like, I don't think she really understands it yet. I told her a little bit, but I don't even remember how I. I I just kind of came out. I was like, okay, that was really lucky that it came out That, that way, and I don't remember how I was able to do it, but it it somehow worked. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. Um, and it's something where I'm like, you know, like for example, my my oldest son, he has POTS too. Um, and for me, like the pots has been like the pots, the dysautonomia, the fatigue, that stuff has been the most challenging for me. I know some people with EDS, it's a lot of like dislocations and surgeries and things, but for me it's been yeah, pain has been there, but the most disabling thing that I felt like, okay, I can't push through this has been this the secondary condition. So because he has already a secondary condition, I think he's less afraid of like, well, what if it's what if I had the EDS too? So yeah. it's kind of fortunate in a weird way that like pots came first, maybe yeah. in case he does. Um so yeah, it's 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 been tricky and um my, my daughter was only like
0: three when I was diagnosed, so. And how did your son get diagnosed? I know you briefly touched on this in your story. Yeah, so he he um,
1: was having like a lot of symptoms where he was like, I feel weird or, so here's the thing. I try to not talk about my symptoms too much with my kids. I, I kind of keep it a little vague where I'm like, you know mommy needs to rest or mommy's not feeling good right now i try to not like over and it's like when you said like how do you deal with knowing too much like i don't want to put that on them and i don't want them to question every little sensation in their body but i also mm-hmm. want them to be aware of what's not normal so it's a hard balance to strike yeah. and he was he was saying things like well oh, i feel so weird like my heart's pounding my like it's you know I feel like dizzy and I don't know what's going on with me, those kind of things. And so I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like comfortable. I'm sorry. And so at first I was kind of like, I'm not going to just like randomly check his heart rate and like be paranoid and whatever. Because it's not, a, it's it's not from what I've been told, like dangerous. It's it's just very, I mean, other than like fainting and things. Like yeah. That. Um, so I was okay kind of waiting and seeing like, it's just not feeling well after a virus and like his heart rate's more sped up or something like that. And so it kind of kept going on for that week. And so I checked his heart rate and it was high. And it's like, he's like, oh no, is could this be POTS? You know, he asked me and I was like, it might be, let's like check. So um, I did basically like a poor man's tilt table test. It's like what the cardiologists call it, right? So I had him lay down. I checked his heart rate after like five minutes, checked it standing up, and there was a change enough for it to be POTS because I didn't want to take him to the doctor and freak him out and then have the doctor be like, oh, no, it's not POTS. Um, also, I didn't I didn't really expect that the doctor would be super knowledgeable about it just based off of my history and, like, what I've experienced. Um, the training's just not – it doesn't seem like it's really talked about as much. So we took him, and uh, initially it was kind of like – She didn't want to say, like, I don't know what this, what POTS is. Like, she was kind of familiar, but she didn't know, like, the criteria. She didn't know how to check for it. Um, I think she thought orthostatic vitals were sufficient, but they're not, right? Because you have to be laying for a while and you have to stand immediately. You don't get that break of, like, the in-between sitting and then standing. So I had to, like, without sounding like, look, this is what it is. I'm telling you how to do your job. I had to be, like you know, like say it in a very non authoritative way and kind of explain why I thought it might be POTS. Um, and then she was open and said like, oh, I need to go see another patient. But like she was in her office, like looking up stuff, like trying to figure out like, what is this? And so she agreed to send him. She said, yeah, it does look like, it does look like POTS. It does meet the criteria, but I want to make sure it's nothing else like a heart condition or anything yeah. like that. So she sent him to, pediatric cardiology and they were able to just tell based off of like the vitals they took um, that it was POTS. So it was, it was very like easy. It was very, um, it wasn't like a huge event. It wasn't like a big anxiety inducing experience. And there wasn't like this pushback and this wrestling and this fighting. And um, I think that really helped him to kind of accept it and, um, with with less distress than he would have if he would have had to, like, push for answers or not, like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? I mean, for me, it was so different. So I feel like I was fortunate enough to, like, have the condition that he ended up having that we were able to figure it out um right away.
0: Yeah. So. Knowledge is power in a lot of exactly. ways. Exactly. <laughs> um And I think, you know, that's why you and so many others are so willing to open up about their experiences because if you know you can pass on your message to one other person and give them um a clue that can help improve their experiences it's it's so worth it, so yeah, thank you for Brilliant. sharing all of that oh you first so I would love to know um. A couple of your symptom management tools um everyone's kind of different with what works best for them um and obviously with pots and other um dysautonomia conditions we have the you know drink your water make sure you're having Mm -hmm. enough salt those kinds of things but do you mind touching on a couple of Um, tools that you've either created or have discovered really work for you um, and kind of pass those on in case the listeners are looking for more ideas.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Um, So for me, I don't know why, but like the salt and the water doesn't make, the water matters, but the salt, I haven't found a massive difference. I mean, if I don't have any salt, it definitely, I could feel it, but it's not like the more salt, the better. Um, but my, they think mine is more of like a hyper adrenergic type of pots. It's, they said it's mixed, but like that, because that's a factor, it's like more of the blood pressure stuff. So I was told for a long time to avoid salt because I was having high blood pressure. So finding out like that salt matters has been really important, but it's not like a, I don't get the same kind of, um, results that I, that I see other people get that I wish I could get from that yeah. um just off because i forgot my one of um my siblings recently it seems that she has plots her doctor thinks that she has it so it's interesting because she doesn't have eds mm-hmm. but it's like what's it's it's very interesting yeah. um but that's a whole other thing i hope she doesn't mind that i should <laughs> um she's gonna listen to this <laughs> Oh, we can... We can uh, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. I. Um, but yeah, so for me, pacing has been huge. And this is only something I learned about like a few months ago. So pacing activities, not overdoing... It's more like what not to do for me, I guess. Like what to avoid, like overdoing it. Um, that's been not helpful at all. Heat, like being in the heat, being overheated... Um, Resting is Weirdly Very helpful for the pots, Especially laying down I guess it's not weird But it's like Almost like a reset Like if I Have a busy day Where I have a lot of things to do If I can find times To just lay flat for a while That really helps me And I didn't Know about that Because my cardiologist Told me to put like My feet up On the wall And like let the blood Kind of slow back down And that helps But it's not the same As just laying flat Mm -hmm. um, For whatever reason And then finding the right medication, that was something that I felt very discouraged with at first because I didn't have this revolutionary change in symptoms beyond a certain point. Like the beta blocker really helped. Um, It helped so much with the, the feeling of that, like that fight or flight feeling and like the heart rate and all of that. But I still had so much orthostatic intolerance despite having more control over the heart rate so i felt like well, what am i going to do like i've tried you know three things and they've not really helped beyond that but finding being willing to try like the weird medication that like only one percent of people try like that kind of stuff um and just not giving up and reminding myself like there there is more to try. there are more things I can do. this isn't. this isn't the end. Um, that's helped me to kind of keep pushing and keep keep going. Also IV fluid really helps, but there's like a limit to how much we can do with that without yeah. wanting to get a port and all of that. So um, it's I think it's just been like a, a complete like a a lot of different things, a little bit of a lot of different things. And weirdly avoiding, for me, exercise has been like the worst thing. And that's what made the the neurologist think, okay, maybe there's like a chronic fatigue because it's like any exercise, it's like an immediate, like it makes everything worse, Um, which is hard because exercise is important for POTS. But like the two conditions have like the exact opposite treatment. (laughs) So it's- I'm trying to find what's like where the balance is, you know.
0: Yeah. I know I kind of say it's a sick joke that those co-occur so commonly yeah. because it, they're fighting each other for <laughs> the glory. <laughs> yeah. And it's like which one is which one do I
1: want to experience less of? Like what is worse? Yeah. Yeah, and you have to kind of find that balance or I mean for me right now it's like not I I've even doing like one set of 10 I'll notice like the next day it's just it's the exertion it's something about that it's just so weird but it's
0: yeah it impacts things yeah it is um complicated to manage all of this to on your own um do you have a primary physician that you feel like you can go to with all of this? Or are you kind of managing with a myriad of providers that have different expertise? So I don't want to like rag on my doctors. Like, I love my doctors, but like She's no so-
1: one really has an expertise in this. Like it's been, um, it's been like the doctor that diagnosed me, they know how to like diagnose and they understand like the pain component, but It wasn't like like she I was like, well, what are all these other symptoms then? Cause she just had diagnosed with EDS. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what is this? Like, why is my heart doing this? Why, you know, why am I 160 brushing my teeth? What why do I feel like this standing? What is this? And she was just like, I don't know. Like you have to develop your primary and like do as much research as you can. And then that night, like it was so clear. It was like, oh, pots, like something like 70% of people with EDS have it. So it's like, and so many people without EDS have it, and so it's just um, finding that out. You know, getting a cardiologist, and then he was like, "Well, I I've treated this. I have only treated like twelve people with it." So after a year of working with him, he referred me to Stanford, and that's been that's the expertise. Like that's that was like an amazing experience seeing how knowledgeable these doctors are. They know everything. They're it's it, that's been huge. But that was only a couple months ago. So finally finding like an expert for something has been, I feel like we're finally on that, like on the right track. And I feel hopeful, like, okay, at least I can, do. at least I had more things that I could try and um, more things that I can do. And my primary, I actually spoke to him yesterday and it seemed that we had like a major misunderstanding with each other in that he thought I was getting care from an, quote, EDS specialist who was mm-hmm. the doctor that diagnosed me. And you know the doctor who diagnosed me, told me to talk to my primary about all this stuff. So, I, I don't know. I never told him that because I mean I told him. I don't think she really knows, you know, about um, like coexisting conditions and and different things like that. But he thought that that was like under control. And again, I just remember, I like yesterday, I was like, oh, I didn't advocate enough. Like I didn't push enough. I didn't i'm so used to being told like nothing's wrong with you it's anxiety go home like deep breathing whatever and so i it's like that muscle memory of like oh yeah i'm believed now like i have stuff on my chart they're they're you know so it's been such a mix of different things like learning how to how to like use the system to get your needs met and and what doctors to see and and then a lot of the time you know, the other doctors, they kind of are just like, no, that's not like like I had one doctor who was like, no, EDS doesn't even cause POTS. And I was like, My oh, time to find a different friend specialist for this. But yeah. um, it was like a neurologist, too. And so, yeah, it's just I don't know if that I answer that question. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I,
0: should... I think there is so much work to do in this area know. Um, scientifically and um. I think something that I am very passionate about is talking about the delay in medical education, too, because even if we are discovering a lot of, you know, the statistics of co-occurring conditions, um, whether that is discussed in medical school and whether the co-occurring conditions are discussed in medical school is is a whole different story. So, um, you know, the silver lining of the pandemic has been, you know, these post-viral conditions are getting a little bit of the limelight in terms of (laughs) research funding and hopefully we're turning the corner with some better understanding of of all of this and you know the momentum continues um but we have so much work to do and it's really interesting to be kind of in this middle ground where people may have heard of what you're managing but they're still not yeah. um to the point where they're comfortable treating you with it exactly um, yeah so and I am really really glad that you feel um believed and validated because I think that's like a huge first step but I think yeah. it is funny how it's easy to revert to like the the muscle memory like you said of like oh, okay after appointment I just like try to find someone else because I figured that you know, I didn't get anywhere with the last one. Mm. Um, such a, such a, a challenging thing to navigate.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, I told him, but I, I didn't like remind him, like, remember I, you're the person that's managing this. Like, this is like, I really need you. Like it was, I didn't make like it clear that I was like without help basically. And I didn't realize that, that, like, I thought that, that he would know that because he's my primary, but it makes sense because he thinks, oh, the person that diagnosed her and think they, they're managing this. So, and I, I mean, I get it too. It's like, they have, doctors have so little time with each patient. They don't get time to research. They don't get time for in basket. They're told these things are so rare. Like when you hear, like, I, my father-in-law is a doctor and I remember mentioning certain things to him. And I, I said one time, like, I mentioned some rare thing. And he was like, well, they taught us in medical school, like when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, because common things happen commonly. And so they're taught that. And it's so true. Like, you don't want to just diagnose every sinus infection as like, oh, it's a brain tumor. But like, there's also that there are those rare conditions and and um, it's, it was, I mean, it wasn't about my EDS or any of my stuff. It was just about something randomly. But I remember thinking like, oh, that's interesting because you can't just go into these deep dives every time anyone has anything or else you I mean they just don't have the time so unfortunately things are missed and um you know I mean I remember hearing a lot of people or like one of my relatives had like a post-viral illness um and she was kind of told like eh, if it's going on beyond this time it isn't it's not really it's kind of like it's probably psychological or it's probably you know it's not a real thing or whatever and um it was real, but it wasn't. It wasn't like accepted widely like it is now. Like post viral stuff is now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love that the symbol for EDS is is a zebra, mm-hmm. and the number of people in the population that are living with it is much much greater than we have previously given credit for. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that. Um, it is mostly women who are affected by the condition, um, like all of these other conditions. So, it's. Um, I think that's also reflected in the fact that the majority of people that subscribe to the community and the platform are women, and they're they're looking for that support that they've needed for all of these years. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Is there anything that you would share with? um listeners who are either undiagnosed or newly diagnosed anything that you wish that you maybe would have told yourself you know long ago absolutely yeah um so for the undiagnosed that
1: I would say don't stop looking like don't give up don't quit you can take breaks it's hard I know it's hard and you can't keep you can't just keep pushing forever you have limited energy and limited you know it's it's so hard to to be i hate that the term gaslit is thrown around so much thrown around so much but it does feel like that when you're getting hold like everything is anxiety like well how is everything anxiety and um you know it's really really discouraging to have a doctor and then they document it right they put one on your chart and a little anxiety and then so it's like the more you go the more it's documented but it's like I wish I wouldn't. Have, I wish I would have kept pushing. And I, I really did stop for a while. Like I, until I met my husband, I was just like, well, you know, I guess I just have anxiety, and it was just my life, and I, I can't. Like it really affected my self esteem. I felt like I, I just can't do life like other people. I guess like everyone else is, is in pain. I guess living and exhausted and whatever, and they're doing life, so why can't I? And so. I would say trust your trust your gut if you feel like something isn't right it's not don't like don't quit keep pushing take breaks though but advocate for yourself because what's the wor- the worst thing that could happen is like what happened to me where my chart got all marked up with anxiety and all whatever and then eventually we found it like the doctor found it And then we found other conditions after and it was just that one breakthrough that I needed. I just needed that one diagnosis, that one doctor who immediately she, I told her my story and she was like, "Mm, are you flexible? Like I I was on the phone with her. She hadn't even done like a physical exam yet. And she did, of course, later. But like she, that immediately was her like, oh, and so she did all of like the tests and call them like the gang signs like all the EDS <laughs> But like it it's it it t- just that one person. And she was knowledgeable because of medical school. Like she had a uh, her mentor or something like taught her about it and was like, this is more common than we think. And um or she said it was more common, but I don't know the whole story with that. But anyway, she it was just that one person. So just don't give up and believe your experience um i wish i would have believed myself i wish i would have not written things off and um i would have a lot of i've done a lot like i did gymnastics as a kid like there's a lot of damage that's irreversible that i can't get back so um so it was for the undiagnosed and then for like newly diagnosed right like i would say the thing i would want to know are some of the things Be newly diagnosed with B. um, You're going to be okay. Like it's, it seems like your life is totally over. And, um, I mean, I shouldn't say you're going to be okay because I know some people they really are. When I say okay, I don't mean like you won't be have a disability or you won't struggle. But I mean, you'll find you'll find ways to navigate it. And it doesn't mean that it's okay. And it doesn't mean that. You'll just be fine having a chronic illness, and I mean, I I've accepted it, but I haven't accepted it. Like I still feel like no, there's got to be more. Like I have to be able, they I have to. There has to be more improvement. There has to yeah. be. And if I hadn't had that had that idea, I don't think I would have pushed for certain medications that were like breakthroughs or certain. Um, pieces of knowledge, like the exercise thing. Like I was all all I could do all day was exercise. That would be it. And I couldn't do anything else. If I would have known, like it took me a while to find these things out from from knowledgeable clinicians. So you'll be able to navigate it. And it just some a lot of it just takes time. Like it's 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 a process. And like you find I would say something someone told me that was really helpful was they said, well, just know there's probably more like and it sounds bad, but it's like there's if you have, if you have ehlers Download syndrome, there's probably more um that's going on besides the EDS. And that's scary, but it's also hope because you know there are things that you can treat, there are things that you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if it's not EDS and it's, you know, like chronic fatigue syndrome or POTS or other things, like you'll there are things that you can learn and there are there's hope. And there's, I mean, like one of the medications was my cardiologist, who's like the chief of cardiology, like my service area, didn't know about like one of the medications. So it's, it's, there's a lot out there and there's hope and there's a lot more knowledge and we're learning a lot very, very quickly too. So it's, it's like we're in the dark ages kind of, but we also are learning. It's a weird spot to be in.
0: Yeah. Yeah and one of the physicians that i've spoken with that works with this population um he said that you know his motivation for continuing in this space that for so many years i mean decades had no hope in the form of medical treatment to provide to these patients he's like i've seen things evolve and the reason i am so motivated is because i know that you know we don't know what's around the corner and what's around the corner could really really improve people's quality of life and so that persistence that you mentioned I I completely agree that it's kind of the most important thing and giving yourself the space to take a break from you know pushing through every single day is also really important you know you don't you don't train for a marathon by running a marathon 10 days in a row you take time off and Our bodies and our our brains and our emotions also need that break. I truly appreciate everything that you have shared with us. And um, I know that so many people benefit from listening to your story and hearing all of the wisdom that you've accumulated from your experiences. And I hope that you'll continue to find the answers that you are looking for. Um, I hope that science is able to provide so many of us answers that we're looking for. Um, and I appreciate you, you know, opening up and, and providing a source of strength and hope to, to everyone listening. So thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking with you. Take care. Thanks for listening, and you can find all things Disunderstood at dysunderstood.com or at Disunderstood on Instagram and TikTok. See you next time.